Good evening. Hope you're glad to be here tonight. I know I am. As you know, we're uh, kicking off a quick little detour, going to do a few psalms. And so today we're going to um, jump into a few psalms over the next few weeks. And I hope that the psalms encourages and nourishes your souls that I know it's capable of. So we'll be in 139 psalms this evening. So. <clears throat> So a few years ago, <clears throat> I found myself in the halls of Cascade Christian High School. My two boys went there. I coached wrestling there for six years, so I can't remember why I was there, but I have this memory of walking down the hall at Cascade Christian High School, and I ran into some drama, the kind of drama that only teenage girls can produce. And if you have daughters or you are a woman, you might understand this. So special way of, there were two girls arguing. And it was really awkward because I was trying to get where I was getting and they did not care who was listening. And one of these girls was letting the other one have it. And the other one was trying to make up. And they, it was, I was just like, whoa, glad I had boys. They were drama enough, but this was like, wow. It's quite impressed, a little awkward. One of them definitely felt misunderstood and definitely hurt because she kept yelling, you don't know me, you don't get me, you don't get to say that. Very defiant. And then the sweet little girl that I would think, she just kept trying to apologize. Like, I didn't mean it that way. I thought that you like this, so then I would do that. And she just said, you don't know me. Don't act like you know me. And then the other girl was like, I was just staying at your house last night, and I think I know you. And it just went back and forth. But the narcissistic, defiant, you don't know me, don't act like you know me, always stuck in my brain for some reason. Because I see that we all kind of have this tendency in our relationships, right? Oh, he doesn't get me. She doesn't get me, right? You don't really know me. You don't know my life, right? I think it's part of this identity culture, crisis culture that we have now. It's at least part of it, right? Everybody's suffering an identity crisis, and they all have this stance, this defiant narcissism, like, you don't know me. I just saw a shirt that said that, you don't know me. I'm like, do you wonder why I don't know you? With that kind of attitude, right? Here's a newsflash. No one, no hum, human person knows you perfectly, not even yourself. I think that's biblical. It is. We deceive ourselves all the time. How many times have you said, was that, did I just, do, what? Was that me? Yeah, your wife says, yeah, that was you. But Psalm 139 encourages us and reminds us that there is one who knows you perfectly, divinely, he is a personal, omniscient God 
who knows every in and out of you and me. Did you know that? It's refreshing. It's encouraging. He really understands us. There's some salve in that, in all of our hurts, where we can go to a God who really gets you. We all, at least most of us, get the fact that God knows everything, right? Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, right? Speaking of an omniscient God, God himself says, I am God. There is none like me. I know the end from the beginning. I know the ancient times from things that haven't even been done yet. Amen? What a way to know. What a perspective of knowledge, right? That he would know the end from the beginning. That he would know the succession of all events, both both instantaneously and simultaneously. He just knows there's no sequence. That'll boggle your mind, don't you think? Most of us have no problem getting to the end of that and saying to themselves, yeah, God knows everything. The point of today in Psalm 139 is that he knows everything about you. He hasn't forgot you. He's keenly aware of every circumstance you're going through. It's not lost on him. It's a beautiful poem written by David that should encourage you that there is one who knows you better than yourself. Amen? So if you're feeling misunderstood, if you find yourself, you don't know me, if you're a narcissist and insist that I am going to be defiant because I am so unique that no one knows me, if you're going through an identity crisis today, if you want to be encouraged, I think Psalm 139 is for you. Let's get to it. Amen? Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path in my lying down. And you are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high, I cannot attain it. Amen? That paragraph is beautiful, and you could read it and meditate on it, and it's awesome. You want to know how well God knows you? Those are some pretty good verses. He personally gets you. And I like verse one where it says, you have searched me, O Lord. You searched me. Quite literally in the Hebrew, it means he's uncovered you. He's really dug you up and turned you over, opened your closet, looked at all the junk that we all stuff, that we don't present to the world, 
that we don't even present to our spouses. All of those things, he searched. He's uncovered. He's undug us. And thus he knows you intimately. In verse 2, he knows when I sit down and when I rise up. He knows our conscience activity, whether we're taking a break or whether we're on the move, the things we decide to do, he knows. But also, even more amazing to me, it says, you discern my thoughts from afar. He knows my unconscience. For some of us, that's a scary thing to know that God knows your thoughts. Yeah, he knows your thoughts from afar. Those thoughts that go into your brain that you don't even know how got there, he knows those things. So he knows when we sit down and we rise up, he knows our ups and our downs. He knows all that. Not just the ups that you post on Insta, right? He knows it all. Verse three, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. He knows your habits and your choices. You search out my path. You know, everybody has kind of a path you groove into life. Have you noticed that? You have what I call a way, right? We, everybody's got their thing and you, 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 you burrow a path into life and you groove it in, right? Those habits, good and bad and indifferent, just in the in-betweens. God searched out those things and he knows what makes you click. One of my favorite things about taking care of people is, is there's always something that unlocks a person most of the time, unless they're just no fun. But everybody likes to talk about certain things, whether it's family or sports or hobbies or the Lord. There's something that, there's a path that people groove. And if you get into that, you have something, right? You can communicate and talk and, and laugh and have fun while you're giving an eye exam. I love that. The Lord searches out those things and knows them. He's well acquainted with him, he said. He says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, the Lord, you know it altogether. You ever have a hard time communicating with people? Parents know, right? I saw the saying in, in, in my house, like when I, my boys were young and I was trying to tell them something and it just, you know, that look. I said, am I speaking Russian? That's what I always say to them. Spasiba, right? They, yeah, it's like something's lost. It's like that line in Cool Hand Luke. What we have here is a failure to communicate, right? Right? You're not getting it. The Lord speaks your language even when you can't get it out. And you feel like when you talk, that's not what I meant. I, didn't, I wish I could be better at this. Like when you talk to someone, you're like... That was horrible. <laughs> I wish I could have done better there. Frankly, 
I feel that way up here sometimes. It's like, I wish I could have got that better, right? Or when I talk to my staff, that wasn't good. They probably think I'm a jerk, right? God knows before it hits your tongue, he connects. Come on now. That's amazing. Amen? It's amazing to me. You hem me in behind and before and, lay your, and you lay your hand upon me. Um, this is a beautiful saying, very, very common when you get hemmed in. And I think what David's trying to get at here is you're active in my past. You were. You're active now. And you're going to be active in my future. You know me. You know my past. You know right now. He says, you hem me in behind. You put your hand on me right now. And then you go before me. Mm, How encouraging is that? That the Lord is active in all three tenses of our life, our little lives, right? The God who breathed everything into existence has got you hemmed in. Amen? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. David here is simply overwhelmed about these facts, of how intimately, personally omniscient God is in his little old life. We too should be overwhelmed and have an epiphany of sorts, not just that God knows and understands everything, because that's easy. We need to get it through our little heads that he knows everything about you. Amen? That's the epiphany. He understands me. He gets me. In our little life, in our circumstance, in our day of trouble, he hasn't learned or overlooked or forgotten anything about you in your life. Someone should say amen about that. Ever. He's never surprised or caught off guard by your situation. Instead, he's keenly aware of your circumstance, even today, even right now. He knows you. And he knows what you're going through. It's not lost on our Lord. He's that gracious to condescend to us and use his omniscient on you and I so that when we go in our day of trouble, we don't say defiantly, he doesn't get me. Because the greatest illustration and word picture and person we should be looking at right now is Jesus Christ and his example when he came down and took the form of a human, right? When the eternal son of God took that step down into our dusty and barren land and shared humanity with you and I, right? Suffered by our side, right? Philippians chapter 2. One of the reasons, and one of the reasons we should all rejoice is he's a tried and true God. He experienced humanity so that you and I not only can look at God's omniscience, but go, he can sympathize with me because he did humanity, and he did it well without sin, but yet he wept 
He smiled. He laughed. He shared humanity. He's felt rejection. He's felt pain. He's felt, he, name it. He's, he's faced it all. He gets you, and he gets your humanity. Amen? The most powerful part about this first paragraph to me is that it comes before the next paragraph. In the next paragraph, we'll talk about six verses, how close God is to you. Of course, he's transcendent. He transcends time and space. Of course, as the Christian, he indwells us. He's everywhere, but he's everywhere in and with you. And it amazes me that it comes right after he intimately knows you. A lot of us are afraid of people getting to know us, amen? Because if you really knew the way I was, you might not want to be around me. Anybody felt that way? Of course we have. And that's why we say things like, you don't get to know me. You don't get to say that because you don't know me. Because ultimately, we're afraid of people knowing us. So we wear shirts that say, you don't know me. Because if you did, you might not stick around. And that's the truth of the matter. Because none of us are perfect. We all fail and we let each other down. And we're not all that we should be oftentimes. We have a saying in our house, (laughs) my wife and I, when we prove to each other that we're less than perfect, right? When we maybe disappoint each other a little, even if it is just forgetting the half-half, right? My wife says, sorry, you should have looked the other way. (laughs) When you met me, you should have looked the other way. It's a joke, and we both laugh about it. But there's some truth to that. If you really knew what I was like, would you stick around? And my wife's a gym, so I always tell her over and over. I'd pick you over and over. But there's some truth to that. In this next part, we learn about how God sticks. Yes, he's transcendent, of course, but he's transcendent in your little old life, and he never leaves you, nor he will never forsake you. Amen? He is with you, and he is for you, and you cannot escape him. You cannot hide from him. As much as you think you can turn the lights off and get away from him, and you can go wallow in your sorrow and stay away from church and stay away from him, you cannot get away from God. Despite popular belief, God is here. God is everywhere. And for the Christian, he is inside you, and he indwells you. And you cannot escape him. You might as well face him. Amen? One of my favorite movies, All the Pretty Horses. Remember that line in the prison? When the Mexican guard was talking to Matt Damon when they beat him up? And he said, you're American. You're in a Mexican prison now. And he said, let me tell you something. Some people say God is here, but God is not here. (laughs) And he just goes, oh, my goodness. God's there. God's everywhere. Let's check it out. I think you'll like it. Verse 7. 
Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall come over me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Amen. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, you make, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. Even your destiny can outrun Jesus Christ. Did you know that? God is eternal. And he will be in eternity. And so will your spirit. And you will either be experiencing him or experiencing the lack of him. But it's all about him and to his glory. And you cannot even undestinize God's presence. Amen? No destiny can separate us. In verse 9, you can take wings of the morning. Poetry is awesome. I know I don't do this justice, but we have this wonderful parchment back here, right? Do you have a spot where you can sometimes catch the morning break? Uh, I have a great spot, and I can see east to west. And sometimes, if I get my bottom out of bed and I see the morning break like I did this morning, it changed me, and it's fast. The morning breaks, and it floods from east to west at the speed of light, at the commandment of Jesus Christ himself, the morning breaks again. And you cannot outrun God. His presence is everywhere. The end of the sea, the end of a breaking morning, you can't run from his presence. He sticks. He sticks. Even if you read it, when you want to be in the dark, if I go and I turn off the lights and I wallow in my shame and I do things I ought not to do and I keep doing them and I'm doing them so often, I'm so shameful, I won't come to church. I don't want to see God. I close God out in the dark. He sees you in the dark. Listen to me. He sees you in your shame and he doesn't leave. He hangs. So you think you might be pulling one over and avoiding God but he's there, right? My older son is pretty mischievous. He still is, but he really was when he was young. And one vice we have in our house, we don't have a lot of sweets, but we do eat ice cream. That's our deal. There's always, and it's good ice cream. Like, like we just, we, we drop some money on the ice cream. We get the best of the best. I won't tell you my brand because it'll offend Pastor Matt, but it's not <laughs> Briar's Natural Vanilla. It's better than that, okay? And we told Ryan, no ice cream. And he was very little. We can't find Ryan. Where's Ryan? Where's Ryan? Well, he's in the closet, 
in the pantry, the kitchen pantry, with the door shut light out, with a whole big thing of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, with a big spoon, and he's, he's just, and I, I walk in there, I turn the lights on, he's just like, this <laughs> like, kids. He thought if he turned the lights off, everything would be okay, and no one would notice. Yeah. I think a lot of times we think the night can hide us, and it's a big mistake we make. We, we, we get too shamed because we're in our sin, and we retreat into the darkness but to God, it's not darkness. Amen? It says he's light. There's no darkness in God at all. So I love that section because God knows you intimately, and yet he sticks close, and you can't shake him, can you? You can't shake him. Even in your shame, he's there. It's not just that God is everywhere. He's everywhere in your life. That's the key. And maybe you think God should have looked the other way sometimes. But he would choose you over and over. In fact, he did. Into eternity, amen? Amen. The next paragraph, the next six verses, is connected to the first two by a little word called for. If you look at verse 13, it says, for you formed my inward parts. It's as if David is saying, do you want some proof? Do you want some supportive information or some documentation that he knows you and will always be with you and will never leave you? Do you want to see an illustration or a proof how that works out in your life? You want some supporting documentation? <laughs> you know what it is? We'll read it here. It's you. It's you. It's you and your body. It's how God made you. It speaks and shouts of intelligent design that someone else is running and maintaining your very breath. The mechanisms that make your body go, God is in control of because he designed them. It's proof that he has got you hemmed in. It's proof that he will never leave you. He's the designer of you. And check it out in verse 13 through 18. It's incredible. Look at the design of the body. It, it stresses this. Let me read it for you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intrinsically woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. 
If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Now listen, there are a few things that happen in your life that you never forget, right? Obviously. I will never forget my first day of cadaver lab as a pre-med student at the University of Oregon. It was where we got to actually handle human bodies, preserved bodies. And it was a day that we were all looking forward to in great anticipation and a little bit of anxiety. Most of us have not handled a dead body. It is a little weird, you have to admit. But as a student who wants to study the body, you should probably join a cadaver lab. And so the day had come, and the first lab we had was you had a 45 minutes to do whatever. You just check out your guy or your gal. You had a body that was perfectly preserved, and it was dissected on purpose so you could look at certain things. You had forearms dissected so you could see the tendons go up and how they connected to your finger. And you could pull the rib cage apart and you could look at a heart and a lung. And you could look at intestines and pull and put them in. It was incredible. Everything was dissected. Every little part of the body. And I remember that day, my partner and I got in there and it started very reverently, right? It's a dead body. And they even had names and this was your guy and you had to pack it with formaldehyde towels and clean it up and you were in charge of this for the whole semester. And I started out very sober, but I started thinking, this is really cool. It was like the physics and the mechanics of it, just, I just got lost for a while. Like I was grabbing the, the forearm and moving fingers and I made a thumbs up, right? I'm like, well, this is really cool. <laughs> My partner made another finger stick up, but that's a different story. But Incredible, incredible. One of the amazing experiences when I first got to do that really got me. I knew I wanted to be an eye doctor, so one of the eyes was dissected where you could see the extraocular muscles and you could, you know, pull on the lateral rectus and watch the eye go like this. And then the, I mean, it was really incredible. What a way to learn, not memorize, but look at the engineering and the design of this, the, this body. The one that always got me and I, I, to this day, it gets me, it gets me, it gets me is the superior oblique muscle in your eye. It's what enables us to... Uh, rotate our eye upward. So when we turn our head, we can see straight. It's an awesome muscle. It's so incredible. The design of the insertion of this muscle is exactly at 55 degrees. The rest of them, just 180, right? One, that moves it this way, this way. This one has to be perfectly oblique. And God in his infinite wisdom <laughs> designed a tackle and a block and tackle design. That tendon goes up through this bony protuberance called the trochula. It has a little hole in this bone right under your brow. And that tendon loops through there like a pulley. 
and comes back down and inserts at that angle. So when that gets pulled, it just goes perfect. If it's off by a degree or two, and it can happen, you see double vision. Incredible. You look at it and you go, that's a block and tackle. That's a block and tackle. These farmers who are lifting hay balls with block and tackle think they invented that? No. That was the first human that God made the superior oblique muscle with, right? <laughs> Incredible, amen? And we're, I'm just playing, but you know what? As I was digging through the body, I looked over at my partner, who I had just met the week before. Not exactly a quote-unquote godly man, but I liked him, and he was my partner, and he was smart. He was undone. And I'll never, ever, to this day, ever forget what he said to me. He wasn't playing around. He wasn't looking at, he wasn't curious. He came undone. And he had a spiritual experience in the basement of Esslinger Hall in the cadaver lab at University of Oregon. He said, I don't know who made this, but someone made that. That's a hardened biology major. It just melted him. Now, he didn't get saved. I, I tried, but it wasn't enough. But he was an intelligent design. Somebody made that. So evolution, something happened. God started the whole thing. or He just couldn't get, get it. But it's a pretty powerful argument, the human body, don't you think, that there was a designer? Obviously, it speaks of somebody running you, designing you, maintaining you, keeping you alive. Amen? The first part where he just says, you formed my inward parts and knit them all together in my mother's womb. You know, your, in, you know that your heart, your lungs, your guts, all that stuff is knit together and it works perfectly. The first thing I notice about that is I have no control over that part of my body. I don't tell my heart to beat, right? It just beats, right? I recently had a doctor's appointment and I was having a procedure. They checked my lungs, right? And my heart, very good, Dan, very good, very strong. I'm like, well, thank you very much. Yeah, I told it it would do that. I'm like, it just does it, <laughs> right? It's all knit together. And I personally believe it's knit together so perfectly by a designer, and I know you do as well. I also believe that it's maintained by that same designer. That when you're done taking breaths and hearts beating, he's the one that stops maintaining it and he clicks the key. And as hard as it is when we lose loved ones, trust me, it's not lost on me. There are no accidents. If you are a believer, Jesus Christ holds the keys to life and death. He stops maintaining that system and he goes and takes you home to be with him. Amen? He's the one designing and maintaining. And we see that in him knitting us together in our mother's womb. He just... I praise you because you're fe I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. David didn't know much about the body. He never saw a cadaver lab. He was an ancient, but he knew certain things, that his heart beat, that he breathed fast when he was run, that he went to the bathroom, he eat things, he drank things. He knew some things, and he said, even that rudimentary knowledge blows me away. Someone made that, you made that. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. 
he says. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows this. The seed of my emotions know this. I get worked up about this, David would say. My frame was not hidden from you. My skeleton, you know, that when your body first starts to get framed, it's built on a frame. Your central nervous system and that skeleton, it says it was intricately woven in the depths of earth. So in your, in your mother's womb, really that word intricately woven, it's embroidered. It really is the embroiderer word. God embroidered the pieces on your frame. I mean, come on. I was expecting a little more from you on that one, but he embroidered on your frame. And you are you. Amen? It's incredible. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, which literally means God the Creator's eyes were on you when you were literally an embryo. In the Hebrew, a rolled-up embryo. He saw you, and it says he numbered the days in his book. Now, come on now. Come on now. Today, we're asking questions afresh again. When is it okay to end a life in a mother's womb? When does it become a person, right? Well, we've already seen two verses here. However you feel about that issue, I will tell you this. There is more than just the woman upon conception by these verses. God sees another person, even when it's at the embryonic state. He sees you. There's someone else there of value that his days have been marked out. Amen? The development of a baby is a miracle. It takes the miracle of a woman's body and God himself, I believe, that happens right here. God sees that, he puts it together, and sees you already with him in heaven. <laughs> How's that for eternity? At that moment, that should be taken with some value. It should be taken into consideration, amen? God sees someone else than just the mother says that his days were marked out. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than sand. Huh. There's intelligent design, and then there's something I call intelligent revelation. <laughs> he talks about the design of the human body now, to him, it's very much proof of an omniscient God that hemmed him in and that has fearfully and wonderfully made him. It, of course, won't leave him. He created him. But then he says, how precious are your thoughts, O God? You know, 
if you're suffering an identity crisis, then you feel un uneasy about who you are and, and how you fit into the plan of your life. Let me tell you something. Without God's revelation in this book, you will never, ever, ever understand yourself. You need this divine revelation. You need to read verses like, yeah, he has a plan for your life. And you know what it is? It's to glorify him. That's what it is. Right? Our lives are for our benefit, but it's always for his glory and his honor. The theme of this book is Jesus Christ and him being glorified in and through weak vessels like us. That's our destiny. That's our plan to glorify God, not to be authentic to what we feel or some cheap substitute, right? It's to glorify our creator. Amen? You need revelation to get that. We need the Bible, and that's all he's saying. It's an intelligent design argument. The last section here, and we'll just see a, a, the last paragraph is six verses. Let me read them for you, and we'll see a pretty abrupt change. But listen to it, because it's kind of neat. How that you would say, oh, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malice intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as enemies. David's a hater. He's a hater. Do you see all that hate? I, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? I do not look. He's a hater. I hate them with complete hatred. David after having this encouragement, I guess, after having this boldness now of God's omniscience personally to him and this confidence that he's not going to leave me by meditating on he made me and so he knows me and, and I, all this stuff, he gets really zealous Kill the bad people, right? That's basically what he says. I hate them. Kill them. Which is both cute. I think it's cute because it's like, okay, David, you think God had never thought about killing humanity before? Right? It's like it's a novel idea, right? But what I really like about it, I guess you have to ask yourself this question. Is it, is it okay to hate? Yeah? <laughs> The Bible says God hates, hates certain things, doesn't he? You can read the Bible, Proverbs 6 tells you seven things he hates. He hates things. He hates sin. Did you know that? Because it's bad for us, and it hurts his people, and it goes, it's an end to me with him, right? It's almost like our culture now can overlove stuff, and I know, I know that sounds funny, but quit loving stuff like the world. Quit loving this stuff that's on the edge of sin. David said, they're taking your name in vain. Kill them. I hate them. There's something about that I like. 
We need to think about it. Can you really love God and love sin? You can think about it later. Just I'm planning it right now. Can we really love God without hating evil? Is it possible to be too loving? Yeah, I think so. I think it's part of what's wrong with our culture right now. And I'm glad that we're doing this lines. This is exactly what we need. What does the Bible say about some of this stuff? Some of this stuff 50 years ago, 100 years ago, it'd be like, now it's like, what? Men and women are different? You don't say. You can't even, I don't have to comment on it, but there's a lot of that going on. We're loving the wrong things. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a few things I hate, and I don't mind sharing them with you. Here's one thing I hate is I hate drugs. I hate them because they kill people. They steal your life. And even when you're over them, they still keep haunting you. If you look at the recovery rates, it's an absolute travesty for some of these drugs. It's a miracle from God himself if you ever get clean. So if you're in here and you're an addict and you're clean, just thank God every day because that's the only reason you got saved and got clean. That's it. I hate drugs. Killed my brother. Killed my friend's brothers. It kills friends of yours. It kills your sons and daughters. It's sin and gross and evil, and you should hate it. Amen? And you should get a little bit righteous about it, in my opinion. I hate that. Right? That's what David's saying. I'm zealous right now. There's certain things I hate. In, in, in those days, I hate these people. They're murderers. I hate these people. They're bloodthirsty. I hate these people. They're taking your name in vain, Lord. I don't like that because I love you. Amen? He's rejecting evil. In this last two verses is your homework all week until we get another song. And this is a prayer I want you to say every day when you wake up, and I want you to watch the daybreak. And I want you to read this, memorize it, and just meditate on it. It's some of the most brilliant two verses to meditate on. Because it's David coming the end of himself, knowing all this, us knowing all this. Check it out. He's longing for righteousness and justice in others, but also in himself. Listen to it. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. So David, after seeing a perfectly personal, supernaturally divine knowledge of himself through by God, he says, God, search me, uncover me, take a shovel, turn me over and see those things that I'm hiding from everybody and myself. The parts that I don't even know about. Would you search me in those areas? Know my heart, even when it deceives me. Try.
try or judge me and my thoughts, O Lord, to see if there's wickedness even in me that I can't see, that I'm blind to, that my wife's blind to, that my husband's blind to. Expose those to me and lead me into the way everlasting. One more time. This is your homework. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. So, Father, thank you for being a God who perfectly understands us, a perfect God with perfect knowledge of his creation. It blows me away that you who spoke the universe into existence would know little old me for the purpose that I may turn, be secure, and glorify you in all that I do and I say, and Lord, even what I think. So search each one of us this very day. Point us in the right direction. Correct us, because it's us first, God. Be with us. Thank you for tonight. Be glorified today in each one of our lives as you are in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. We'll see you next week.